okay this morning? What excited week three of our Uncommon series. Gonna get there in just a moment. I uh, just wanna let you know, uh, if my voice cracks, uh, I'm not hitting puberty again at 39. That's my son, Bentley. Uh, he's 13, uh, going through some voice changes right now. Fighting a little science infection, allergies, cold, uh, so I'll be fine. But uh, if, if I do pass out up here, tell the paramedics that I'm on everything. Sudafed, Dayquil, Mucinex. Come on, got a little Afrin, severe congestion. So if, if, I, if I go out up here, just let them know he took the whole cough and relief section at CVS this morning. And so we're gonna get through this together. Uncommon uh, week three. The first week we talked about uh, uncommon faith. Uh, week two, uncommon grace. Today we're gonna talk about uncommon unity. Uncommon unity. And the point of this series is that as believers, as Action Church and as the local church, we are called to be uncommon. We're called to be set apart, that we're not called to, to fit in, but to stand out. We're called to be in the world, but not of the world. There should be different attributes or characteristics when culture sees us that we don't fit in, that it's not common practice in the world. It's a way in which we live that is, that is uncommon. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and 12 have been our theme verses for this series. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if, you, if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. It's this idea that, that we're just visiting here that when God created the heavens and the earth, he created man and woman in his image. We are actually spiritual beings with an eternal destination. We are spiritual beings having a temporary human experience that eternity is way longer than when we will live on this earth. And so we are really just temporary residents. We are visitors. It says in Hebrews that we are here today, gone tomorrow, a mist and a, a vapor, a morning fog that, that blows away. So we should live in a way that is uncommon here because here is not our home. We talked about faith, we talked about grace. Today, I wanna talk about uncommon unity. The Bible talks a lot about the body of Christ and a, a group of believers gathering together that we're called to be the, the family of God, the body of Christ, but we live in a world, come on, we live in a world that just loves to fight. Come on, unity would not be something that we would describe our country, come on, or our world, we live in a world that, that lives to be divided. Come on, I'm a huge sports guy. Any sports fans in here? If you don't love sports, you're probably gonna hate Action Church because we got a lot of sports analogies. And so I, I love sports. I love watching sports. I love playing sports. Uh, not quite as quick or as fast as I used to, but I love talking sports. Have you noticed it used to be like Sports Center and Baseball Tonight, and you have analysts analyzing the game. Have you noticed now that all we do is watch people argue? Come on, first take, undisputed. We, we literally just, just get up and watch. Just people just yell at each other all day. And here's what's crazy, is that stuff scripted. That's not even their actual opinion. They've got notes of saying, I'll pick this side today, you pick this side. They don't even believe what they're saying half the time. It's just a, a show that we pay to watch because we love the argument. We love the differences. We live in a culture that loves to divide. 
That's why I love listening and watching this, this one podcast, and it's, it's a little long, and it's not Christian, so I can't rec- recommend it from an action platform, but, but Joe Rogan hosts an amazing podcast. <laughs> he does, and he's not a Christian, but what he does is he elicits great conversations. We live in a world that loves to separate, that loves to divide, and he could have anybody from the strongest Christian to the worst person you've ever seen, but he's gonna sit down and he's gonna have a conversation. It's not just talking and arguing, it's, it's listening. It's coming together and finding what we can agree on, knowing that, that we're gonna disagree on a lot of things. And it's a perspective in which how we as Christians should view the world, how can we reach a, a world that we're not listening to? Yeah. But what I wanna talk about today is, is not so much how we reach, that's a, that's a different message for a different time. That is our primary purpose from the gospel, the Great Commission to reach people where they are. But what I wanna talk about today is how we kinda get our house in order in a unified place so that we represent this person and this thing that we're called to represent in a healthy and effective way. First Corinthians chapter one says this, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, this is talking to Christians, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Well, let there be no divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind, united in thought, and united in purpose. It goes on in 1 Corinthians to talk about that Christ is the head and we are the body. We are called to be the body of Christ. We are one body, one body made up of many parts. That we're called to play a different part, all submitted to the kingship and the lordship of Jesus. That some of us are the heart, some of us are the brain, some of us are the feet, some of us are the, the mouthpiece, some of us are the hands, and, and we're all together in a unified way meant to perform the functions of the body of Christ. How crazy would it be in our physical body, if you gave your physical body a personality, how crazy would it be if your, your hand was hurt, you, you, you put it in a, in a saw or a chainsaw, it's all cut up and it's, it's bruised and it's broken. How ridiculous would it be for your arm to say to your hand, get over it? That's not that big a deal. That doesn't, that doesn't affect me, leave me alone. No, in a body, the arm is connected to the hand, so eventually what's happening in the hand is gonna affect the arm, and what's eventually gonna happen in the arm is gonna affect the shoulders, gonna affect the torso, gonna affect the organs of the body, and yet in the body of Christ, we say, as long as it has nothing to do with me, I don't want anything to do with it. No, that infection will spread or that health will spread. A healthy body produces and protects the rest of the body. An injured body will then spread infection and yet we're like, no, we can just be divided. You do what you do, I'll do what I do. That's not the gospel. We are the body, the body of Christ. Paul writes in the book of Ephesians and he talks about the armor of God. And he talks about this armor and he would have been uh, uh, talking about articulating the armor of the Roman army. And the Roman army was really great, obviously, at conquering the Roman Empire, took over most of the modern world at the time. And one of the reasons they were able to do that is not just because of their force, because of their numbers, it was because of their strategy. And one of their strategies was to, when they were being attacked, when they were being overrun, 
instead of retreating, they would get in what they called this turtle formation. And they would take their shields, and their shields would have been four feet high by two feet long, and they would have created a shield wall, and then they would have had a side, and then they would have had a, a, the first set of the top, and then the top, it would have been this huge like dome turtle formation, which was basically impenetrable. So when they were being overrun, they wouldn't break apart, they would come together. And then from a strategic place, they would shout or they would give commands, they would open up, they would attack, and then they would come back and they would be together. There was safety in the formation. There was safety in being unified. What happens oftentimes in war, what happens, why this is a great example for us spiritually speaking, is there would, the fight is not always right in front of you. The fight is not always obvious. Sometimes the fight is schematic. Sometimes the fight is distracting. The, the biblical uh, analogy here is fiery arrows or fiery darts from the enemy, and they're meant not to destroy you because you have a shield, but they will distract you. So let's just say this Roman soldier puts down his, his shield to go put out a, a fiery dart outside, or he gets distracted, or he goes out on his own to, to fight an enemy soldier. Well, not only does that leave him vulnerable, but it leaves everybody in the formation vulnerable. But what happened is they would take that person, the Roman soldiers, if they were injured, they would bring them in to the center of the formation so that then they could be cared for and protected. How come as believers, when somebody breaks formation, when they get distracted by the enemy, when they make a few mistakes, we don't bring them in, we shut them out. We say, yeah, you're, you're done, you're, 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 you're out. You no longer have a place. You gave up your place on the wall, therefore you are out of this place. No, 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 they don't need to be pushed out. They need to be brought in. Yes, amen. Now here's the thing. They need to be brought in for care, for recovery, for restoration. Now what it looks like is we think we're gonna make a mistake, put our shield down, go be distracted by the enemy, and we're gonna come back and get to put our shield right back on the wall. That ain't happening. Hey, bub, you just put your shield down and left us all vulnerable. You ain't going back on the wall, but I'm not leaving you for dead. I'm bringing you back in closer for care. We have to be a church, and I don't care how the whole church does it, we have to be at Action Church people that they get distracted, they make mistakes. You're not out, you're in. You're not in the same spot, but you're still in the same family. It's a fight for, for uncommon, uncommon unity. He is the head, we are the body, we are submitted, but we are fighting we are fighting together. People, not the enemy. We have a common, a common enemy. I want to give you two practical enemies of unity in the church. Enemies of unity, maybe even here at Action Church. The first one, write this down, is misappropriated vulnerability. Those are two big words for a simple man. You're welcome. I studied this week. Now I had to look up how to spell them because I'm from Alabama and we're not brilliant. Misappropriated vulnerability. It's an enemy of, of unity because it spreads toxicity and division. Misappropriated vulnerability looks like this. You know, with all due respect, I'm gonna tell you what I think. Or it's like, hey, I'm just being honest. You ever had somebody? Well, I'm just being honest about how I feel. What if your feelings aren't helpful, they're harmful? Like, I'm just, I'm just being honest. You know, I just, don't really, I just don't really like what's going on right here. I'm just being honest. Maybe you should be less honest. Maybe you should be more honest with the mirror. 
and less dishonest probably about what you're saying about other people. What about this one, misappropriated vulnerability? I'm not saying anything I wouldn't say to them. You heard that one? That's, that's it. That's like, yeah, I, I would tell them to their face. Where, where, where's their face? They're not here. Why are you saying it to me? I'm just being real. I'm just being, being honest. To someone, honesty is accountability. About someone, is, it's an accusation or an attack. In this armor of God, we have a, a sword, but the illustration we have, we have a spear in one hand and a, and a shield in the other. I wanna make sure when we're talking about fighting for unity that the, the spear or the sword is for the enemy and the shield is for our brothers and sisters in the formation. Too many of us are using the, the shield and the sword to tear down those around us, and that's not meant for the formation, that's meant for the enemy. And people are not the enemy, we have a real enemy. People are in the formation or worth fighting for, and that's why we carry shields when it comes to our relationships and not spears and swords. Misappropriated vulnerability, here's the second one. This is not gonna get more fun. I apologize if you're new here. This is a family meeting today. Come back next week, we'll have a ton of fun. We'll have cakes and cookies and we'll say, oh my gosh, wasn't church fun today? That's not today. The second enemy of, of unity is gossip. Yeah, gossip. I know I'm not talking to anybody here. Nobody in here gossips. You're just the sweetest, most caring, thoughtful, humble congregation. Never, never do things like, you know, hey, I just, we should be praying for, for so-and-so. You call everybody on your small group list, except that person. Just praying for them. Nobody prayed on the phone when you were together. You didn't pray after. You just used some Christianese to gossip. Should we be praying for them? I heard they're struggling in their marriage. Are you praying for their marriage? I heard the kids are having a tough time. We should be praying for them. Nobody, it's gossip. Proverbs 16, or Proverbs 6, verse 16, talks about gossip. There are six things the Lord hates. No, wait, seven things he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent. That's a whole sermon, by the way. A heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong. Verse 19, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord in a family. Gossip starts with like, I heard, I heard, I didn't see, I don't know, but I heard. Gossip starts with, I, I think, maybe, and I want to jump into how gossip affects our church in just a second, but I, I want to talk to you just, just for a second from a, a 30,000 foot view. I think we all struggle with this, and I think it's a distracting tool of the enemy that social media and, and following people, famous people, if you will, like, you know, we're, we're, we're in this culture where we, we have to know what they're doing. Like right now, Travis Kelsey is making Taylor Swift famous. It's amazing. <laughs> If you watch the NFL coverage, that's what you would think. But we live, we live in a culture where I, I'm guilty of this. I'll be the first to repent. I'll come home, you know, scrolling on something and, and come home to Gabby. Like, did you hear what so-and-so, just because they're famous, we feel like we have the right to gossip about them. 
I don't know them. Where'd you hear that from? Well, from that article. What was the source? I don't think they had one. Can we all just agree right now that anonymous, an anonymous source is not really a source? I mean, can we just get back to the basics of journalism? Like, I know what journalism is. That's just, a, I, sound like, I sound like one of the person I'm talking about against right now. We all gossip, but it's dangerous, right? It's dangerous because if power of, of life and death is in the tongue and we're saying things that aren't true, we're, we're, saying, things, we're saying things that get out that we can never get back. I heard, I think maybe we're, we're saying things that then catch on. The enemy uses is that though it could be true, even though that it's, it's false. Let me illustrate this way. I shared this five or six years ago. How many of you grew up reading the newspaper? Anybody, any newspaper? We have a young church, not a lot of people. Come on, I had the Birmingham news delivered to the house. Anybody else have the news delivered to their, to their house? Anybody else like me, just get a newspaper so you can look and see if you made the stat sheet with your basketball stats. Anybody just looking to see it's Justin Daly in the newspaper today? Like it matters, like anybody ever read it except for me and my parents. Um, newspapers, uh, kids, newspapers were the news delivered on paper to your front door. And you'd always get ink all over your fingers. If you ever read the newspaper and you were flipping, you just was, it always would come off the paper because it was cheap paper. And, and, and they used to have different sections of the news, but just like the homepage of a major news outlet uh, or the, the website or the TV, the, the, the ticker or the breaking news story or the first story of the night, back in the, the day with newspapers, it would be front page would be the big thing. You'd have a big picture, you'd have a big caption, and then they would carry you to a later, uh, a, a spot different in the newspaper where they were gonna sell more ads to you. So they captured you on the front page to take you to the main article somewhere else, and, and back then, this doesn't happen anymore at all, but back then, the news would actually make mistakes. Doesn't happen now, we fixed all that, right? But they would actually say things that weren't true. That's supposed to be funny, or some of you love your news. <laughs> Can we just pause just for a second? All your news has a filter on it, just so you know. It's not news, it's selling ads. Just, just trying to help somebody today. Like, I heard on this. Well, it's probably wrong. <laughs> what would happen, what would happen is they would issue this, this news story and every once in a while, it would be wrong or it would be defamatory. It would be something that was not true and there'd be a lawsuit or something that had to happen or somebody would push back and the front page news story would be wrong. And so what the news would do, the newspaper, they would issue a, a back page retraction. The problem is that it was front page news, but a back page retraction that nobody reads. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. Let's say you're here at Winter Park and you have a problem with Pastor Tyler Altoff who leads our Winter Park location right now, which makes sense. We, I often have a problem with Pastor Tyler Altoff. And, if you have a problem with him, email him, uh, tyler.altoff at theactionchurch.com. If you have a problem with me, email tyler at theactionchurch.com. Let's say you have a problem with, with Pastor Tyler and, and he's done something to offend you or he said something or you heard something and you go to, you know, you know your people. We all have our people. You go to 100 or 200 of your closest friends and you talk about the problem that you have with, with Pastor Tyler how he didn't see you, how he didn't call you back, how he didn't notice something, how he missed something, whatever it may be, something he said from platform. 
So you go and talk about him to your circle, right? Well, because he's a a man of integrity and character, and I would assume you are as well, eventually, y'all are gonna have that tough conversation where you're gonna air your differences and you're going to ask your questions and you're gonna have healthy confrontation that we're gonna talk about at the end of the message today, and there's gonna be reconciliation and restoration of your relationship. You're back on the team, you got your name tag on, you got your tithe ready, you're at every outreach, you're back all in. The problem is the front page news of your gossip, I have a problem with Tyler, I have a problem with Action Church, your front page news with your gossip and your your angst and your dissension never gets back with your back page retraction to all of the people that you talk about. So now, the very place that you love, dozens if not more people have a problem with the pastor you love and the place you love because your lies or your truth at the moment is still what they carry. Now they have a problem with the very thing that you love because your front page news with your gossip and your misappropriated vulnerability got to everyone and your back page retraction of restoration and reconciliation never did. And so many times we have people in our families, in our circles, in our communities that have an opinion, a negative opinion about someone or something based off of our gossip that we don't even carry anymore. That's why it's so divisive, so ugly for us to talk about people that aren't there. It's a break in unity. So how do we, how do we fight for unity quickly? Two things, fight with each other when we're together. Can we pause for a moment and make sure it's very clear that we're not talking about conformity or uniformity today? That's called a cult, by the way. We're talking about unity and thought and in purpose, that we are different people, different parts with a common purpose. So therefore, healthy confrontation, fighting with each other when we're together is a part of a healthy organism functioning and growing. Fight with each other when together, write this down, fight for each other when we're apart. Fight with each other when we're together, fight for each other when we're apart. You ever got told growing up that you need to represent the family well when you're outside of the family? Come on, anybody else grow up Southern like me? Where they said, you, you, you go to a friend's house, you better, you better behave. Come on, you, you represent Jesus. You represent the dailies. And then you represent yourself, but the first two are more important. Anybody else grow up in the South where they said, now if you go over there, don't you ask for anything? Okay, okay. No, nothing? What if I have to go to the bathroom? Nothing, don't ask for anything. And if they ask you if you want anything, the answer is no. What? What if I'm thirsty? The water's in the faucet, it's free. You thirsty, Justin? I'm so good, yes. I was told not to lie, so the answer is yes, but then I was told I can't get anything. I was talking to Pastor Trent about uh, this fight for unity, and he was telling me a story that 
when his family was growing up, his dad would say, hey, you, you can fight with your siblings in the house. Like, literally, fight over whatever you need to fight over, but don't ever fight outside of the house. Because if we fight in here, we can handle it in here. I don't want you to misrepresent the family out there. And I, I'm talking about some pretty simple illustrations here about how we represent ourselves, but here's the deal. We need to fight with each other in here because out there the whole world is watching and one of the greatest tools of the enemy is having Christians fight each other in front of a world that doesn't believe it and they're like, man, if they can't even get along, why would I wanna be a part of it? If they don't even fight for each other, why would I wanna be a part of it? If they can't even get on common terms and common grounds, why would I ever believe what they believe. We have whole blogs and YouTube channels and, and, and Christian investigative journalists. Their whole job is to tear down other Christians like they're working for the body of Christ and not against it. We are so obsessed with pointing out and tearing down as opposed to picking up a shield and protecting and loving and pushing people forward. We need healthy confrontation in the church, but we don't need criticism. Let me show you the difference. I was at a lunch just a couple weeks ago uh, with some of our, our leaders from our Oviedo location. We had a great lunch, we laughed, we cried. At these lunches, I usually like to open up an opportunity to ask any questions for me or Gabby or the church and then give any feedback. And we had some great feedback in that, in that lunch and lots of really, really great feedback. And, it never got tense because it, it, it shouldn't get tense amongst friends and, and, and there should always be healthy confrontation and even the tension should produce, produce growth. But we got to the end of it and one of our uh, amazing church members from Oviedo came up to me and he apologized. He said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for all the, the criticalness today. I'm sorry for all the criticism today. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Be very clear. You've been here for years. You lead here. You serve here. You give here. There, there is... No such thing as criticism when we're on the same team with the same mission. That's called feedback. Because we have the same goal. You can't criticize something from within. Within, I'm a part of the solution. I may have been a part of the problem, but I'm definitely gonna be a part of the solution. I'm in here to work together. This isn't criticism, this is feedback. And I want you to hear to fight for unity, uncommon unity. We need feedback. We need confrontation. We need correction and challenge. We are not fighting for conformity. We're fighting for unity. But what we don't need to listen to is always stuff from the outside. I am never afraid of criticism, but I can never, never, cast out healthy correction. We need it to get better. We need it to move forward. Paul and Peter demonstrate this. Paul to Peter in Galatians 2, this idea of fighting for unity is gonna come with some tough conversations. Galatians 2, but when Peter came to Antioch, this is Paul writing, I had to oppose him to his face. I love Paul, Paul was savage. I, you know, when, when Peter came, I had to oppose him to his face. For what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. We can never fight for unity in the church. We can never accomplish our function as the body of Christ if we are obsessed with the criticism from the world more than we are to the, the mission of what Jesus 
has for us. We will always find ourselves in hypocrisy. We'll always find ourselves in stagnation. We will always find ourselves distracted if we are trying to please critics as opposed to live on purpose. As a result, over Jewish believers, as a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter, in front of all the others, so he corrected him to his face, and because of what he was saying was affecting the church, he then now had to bring about a teaching and a correction from everybody, but it started with appropriate accountability and correction. Since you, a Jew by birth, have dis- discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles, yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God (coughs) by obeying the law. That is only through our relationship with Jesus. We see Paul here correcting. And I need you to know that's why we do life in small groups. That's why we have accountability at Action Church from all the way at our small group level all the way up through our boards and our, and our structure because there are times that we need to come into a room with other believers and say, hey, you're doing some things the wrong way. A fight for unity is not the absence of conflict, but it's the insertion of conflict in a healthy way. I wanna give you three steps, just three practical things today as we close with conflict. Write these down. I really believe we need to fight for these. Write this down, the right objective. We gotta have the right objective when it comes to conflict. My goal is not to criticize and tear down. My goal is to confront, correct, to build up. When it comes to confrontation, my goal is not to be right. My goal is to make you better. I'm not proving a point. I'm trying to invest in your future, and because we're a part of the body of Christ, my future as well. It's an hour thing. I have the right objective. Second, write this down. When it comes to healthy confrontation, fighting for unity, we need to have the the right setting. Come on, you're leading a small group, and Sally's being disruptive like she always is. Probably not gonna correct Sally the first time in front of everybody. Sally's not coming back. Sally's not listening. But it could be, hey, Sally, I'd love to catch up with you in the kitchen after group tonight. (laughs) Sally, we need to stop this and list why, and list how, and list how you're gonna help. I'm gonna have the right setting. The person initiating the conflict, the leader or the friend that's initiating needs to pick the right setting because if the objective is that they get better, we need to create a place in which they actually hear it. It's not too embarrassed. It's not to call out. It's not to keep them in check. It's for their, their benefits and it has to have the right setting. Here, write this down. Last one, when healthy con, uh, confrontation, fighting for unity, we need to have the right response. This is the person receiving it. If you are above correction, you will always fall beneath your potential. You gotta have environments where you are being challenged to learn and to grow. And you gotta posture yourself in such a way that I'm gonna have the right response. 
That response is not yes, sir, or yes, ma'am. Got it, okay, yeah, got it. You know, I can always tell as a leader when somebody is not actually being teachable or respectful when they're just trying to get out of the conversation. They're not even listening anymore. They're just trying to get out of being in trouble. So how do we respond well to feedback? Ask questions. Oh, so what I hear you saying is this. Can I have some next steps? Could you give me an example of, of what I did and, and then maybe what you would you think I, I should do? Gotta practice active listening in which I'm actually engaging in the feedback so I can actually understand what you're trying to say so when I walk out of here, I'm actually better. We're fighting for unity and it's easy. I need you to catch this today, it's easy. It's easier for us as a church to be unified because we should be all submitted under a common mission. Different parts of the body, but the same goal. In fact, Amos 3.3 says this, and it's so simple yet so profound. Can two people, come on, catch this today. Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? That answer's no, by the way. And I think, I think that may be why we get sideways sometimes in this church thing. We find ourselves down the road and we're far apart because for some reason and for some of us, we never agreed on the direction we were going. This thing was never about the great commission of reaching and connecting, reaching people where they are and connecting them to everything God has for this life. For some of you, your direction was self-help. For some of you, what could this place do for my family? How's the kids program? What's the worship like? What's it gonna sound like? What are you gonna preach on this week? What initiatives are we gonna start or stop? We're divided because we didn't have the same direction. And it's really simple. If we don't have the same direction, after a few steps, we're always gonna be divided. But if we decide to say I'm laying preference and opinion behind because last time I checked Galatians, I crucified those to the cross of Jesus and we say I'm unified in thought and in purpose, that my mission is greater than me. My mission is to reach people where they are and connect them to everything God has for their life. The details don't matter as much. That if you're hurting, I'm not throwing you out, I'm bringing you in. If you need help, I'm gonna have the courage to have that tough conversation because we've got to get to the destination that God has for us. And we get there with more impact, with more speed, with more effectiveness when we do it together. There's power in unity because that way we are using all of the gifts, all of the talents, the full body of Christ. We do that by surrendering ourselves to Jesus. You know, common unity would settle for a common enemy. That's what we have, we have a common enemy, but our goal is not just to fight, our goal is to follow. Think about 9-11 in America, we had a common enemy, so Republicans and Democrats came together and we fought. But after a while, that fades. This uncommon unity we have as Christians is not just against a foe, it's following 
the person who did everything for you and for me. We have a common hero so we can have an uncommon unity because he doesn't change, he doesn't lose, and he has a clear direction for you and for me. And when we decide to follow that, we can have an uncommon unity together, disagreeing, having questions, but all walking in the same direction. How do we do that? Close with this verse, Ephesians 4. How do we do that? In every situation, make every effort. Not some effort, not half effort. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. Come on, I'm asking us to be united in the, the Great Commission and the, the presence of God and what He has for us. I'm not talking about initiative or an idea. I'm talking about the thing that Jesus is returning for. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together in peace. We fight for uncommon unity. We make every effort to find peace and restoration and purpose in the relationships that God has put around us inside of the local church. Let's stop fighting against each other and start fighting for each other. Let's stop casting out, let's, let's bring in. Let's stop attacking our fellow believers and instead protecting them so they can find healing, hope, and restoration so that then we can walk out and represent and bring more people into this family, this family that we're a part of. Let's bow our heads at every location, every head bowed, every eyes closed. God, we love you, and we thank you for your word today. We thank you that it challenges us. Every head bowed and every eye closed, I wanna give you an opportunity like we do every single Sunday to make a decision to follow Jesus. Paul writes in Galatians 2, he says, it's not by good works, it's not by what you and I can do, but it's about our faith in Jesus. Romans 10 says like this, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, we can and will be saved. Jesus being the perfect Son of God, the second part of the Trinity, made Himself man. He lived a, a perfect life for you so He could die a sinner's death as you, like in your place, there's an exchange that happened. We got righteousness, He got our sin into shame, not that He deserved it. And then there was victory that came from the resurrection power over sin and power over the grave. It's available to you and to me. We're called to be disciples of Jesus, followers, but first that makes, it makes us responsible to make a decision. And that decision is the decision of surrender. To lay down our thoughts, our will, our emotions and say, God, have your way in my life. If that's you today and you want to start a relationship with Jesus, or maybe for whatever reason you've walked away and you wanna restart a relationship with Jesus today, I'd love to pray for you here at Winter Park, Oviedo, Sanford as well. Holy Spirit is speaking to you and today is your, your day of salvation. I'd love to lead you in that prayer. If that's you, say, Pastor, count me in that prayer. I'd love to know who I'm praying with. Would you raise your hand right where you are and say, I, I need Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Yeah, I got one, two, three, four. I need Jesus to be the center. I'm, give, I'm giving him complete control. Yep, see you, a couple on the back. Yep, a few more in the stadium. Yes, yes, proud of you. Oviedo and Sanford as well. Maybe somebody joining us online. You can put your hands down. If you raised your hand, would you pray this prayer in your heart? As I pray it out loud, say this. Say, God, I love you. And God, I thank you for saving me. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And I'm saved only by your grace. And I am confessing with my mouth and I'm believing in my heart that you, Jesus, are Lord. And God, I give you that place today. Complete and total control. Have your way in my life. Thank you, Jesus. 
for saving me. Now, God, I pray for all of us. I pray this week that we fight for people, not against them. God, that we fight to, to have healthy conversations, not criticism and gossip. That you would find this church, the church far from perfect, but unified in thought and in purpose. We love you. We praise you in this place. And everybody said, amen and amen. Can we celebrate all the decisions that were just made? Come on, really celebrate. I'm so proud of you.